Coming up on episode 19 of The Mountain and the Word. Do we need a new commentary on the whole of Genesis? How to sort out the real signs from the pseudoscience in evolutionary articles. How to send questions to The Mountain and the Word to get them answered. And upcoming field trips with the Mount St. Helens Creation Centre. All this and more, episode 19 of The Mountain and the Word. of Washington State, you are listening to The Mountain and the Word, an audio podcast show from the Mount St. Helens Creation Center, featuring news, views, and information with a biblical and scientific perspective. The Mountain and the Word is produced and presented by creation speaker Paul Taylor and is available for download from our website, mshcreationcenter.org. podcasted program uh, it's always produced by audio but uh, as with episode 18 i'm going to be trying to produce this one by video as well um please let me emphasize i don't know whether i'll be able to keep this up for all the podcasts because it takes a little while to get these things organized but i'm doing this one on video as well just to experiment because i've had a bit of feedback from it people seem to uh, to like it so We've got quite a bit to talk about in episode 19. I want to tell you about some of the new things that we're doing with the ministry and some of the uh, uh, places that you can find out about us. And I want to tell you about some of the uh, projects that we've got in mind, um, the things that we want to discuss that we want to uh, get working on. So without further ado, let's get straight into the, uh, the podcast. Well, let's talk about, um, po- uh, about commentaries first. Um, I'm part of a study group, and uh, this particular study group is learning about how to read the Bible. And uh, we've been uh, taken through a number of issues, uh, looking at how to do exegesis and hermeneutics, and uh, um, looking at the different styles of literature in the Bible. And I'm sort of reading ahead here. I know that the uh, next session that we're going to be looking at is on um, Old Testament narrative. And... um, with that in mind, uh, it actually recommended in this study book, which is a very good study book, but I'm not going to mention its name at the moment, uh, but it mentioned a possible commentary on the book of Genesis. And uh, unfortunately, the commentary concerned, uh, well, it was a commentary on Genesis by a gentleman called Bruce Waltke. Now, Bruce Waltke does not believe in the literal truth of Genesis. He's He claims to be a conservative evangelical Christian, but like many others, he forces the theory of evolution into Genesis. 
Um, in fact, on the Answers in Genesis website, there is a, a very detailed um, uh, um, research article written by Simon Turpin, from uh, who's in charge of Answers in Genesis in the UK. And he's looked at five different modern commentaries. And it looks like all the popular level commentaries that you can find, well, almost all the popular level commentaries that you can find on Genesis, on the whole book of Genesis, come from people who take this same view of wanting to put the theory of evolution into Genesis uh, instead of taking it as it is written in a biblical creationist way. So what other commentaries are there? Well, there are some creationist commentaries um, there are some creationist books, of course, that tell you about how to read Genesis and put it into the right context. And those would include books like Understanding Genesis by Jason Lyle and by the book, unlike the Book of Beginnings by Henry Morris III. Um, there are a couple of commentaries as well, but they tend not to cover the whole of the Book of Genesis. Uh, for example, the Genesis accounts by um, Jonathan Sarfati is a masterful book, a very, very detailed and lengthy book, but it covers only the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, of course, I am guilty of this myself because uh, um, the first book that I wrote, uh, which was originally called Just Six Days, but was later published again under the title The Six Days of Genesis, that book also is a popular level commentary, but it only covers the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, at the time that I wrote that book, I thought that was really what was needed. But since then, I've come to a different conclusion. Uh, for example, I developed a talk and written a few things on Genesis 12 and the need for um, creationists to be involved in that and the link between that and the rest of Genesis. So there needs to be a creationist-style commentary on the whole of Genesis. Well, of course, there is one that I can think of. And that is, of course, uh, from the late Henry Morris, uh, the father of Henry Morris III, uh, the late Henry Morris, who founded ICR. Uh, he wrote a commentary called The Genesis Record. And I suggest that you probably need to get hold of that commentary. It's described as a scientific and devotional commentary on Genesis. Uh, now, the devotional aspect, the theological aspect, well, that hasn't changed. But, you know, we don't really follow the same science that uh, you will get in that book it was written in 90 it was published in 1976 well we we need something probably newer I, I i suggest that's probably the best commentary to get hold of at the moment but we need something that's going to compete with all these other modern easy to read commentaries on genesis now I've tried to ask a few questions just today and I haven't got any replies back yet, but I suppose I shouldn't expect the replies that quick. But I've tried to ask a couple of uh, questions to see if uh, any of uh, the well-known people I know of are, are proposing to write such a commentary, maybe either individually or maybe a team at uh, one of the major creationist ministries or just a team of people generally to write commentaries. Teams can write commentaries, I always remember finding the new Bible commentary published by IVP in Britain to be very useful as a one-volume commentary on the Bible written by a team. It wasn't written by one person. It was the same sort of size as Matthew Henry's commentary, but unlike Matthew Henry's, it wasn't written by one person. It was written by a team. And I've begun to wonder maybe two options that occurred to me is, one, maybe I can gather together a team 
that will write something on the subject of Genesis, uh, a one-volume commentary, and we can split the work between us. Or maybe um, I need to get down to expanding my book, The Six Days of Genesis. And I think if I did that, I think I would probably start from scratch because there's a few things that I want to change in my book. Uh, it was originally published in 2003 and republished in 2007, but I really want to get some new material. It's 10 years old, and at least 10 years old, and I want to put some new thoughts into it. So those are the two options I have there, either to try and get a team together or to do it myself. And I guess I can make a start on trying to write some things myself because if a team does get together, I can submit those things as part of the team. So let me show you something that I've started doing that maybe, God willing, will uh, will help some people along the way. And uh, maybe the, some of you watching this will be interested in uh, participating with this. Well, I've put together a special website and it's uh, in a subdomain. Uh, you know that our main website here is MSH Creation Center. Org. So I've put this website at uh, genesis.mshcreationcenter.org. Uh, okay, and uh, in fact I need to adjust something there. When you come to this uh, page it won't do what you've just seen it do there. Uh, it will go straight into a subdomain. It will redirect straight into a subdomain for you. So what I've got is a Wikipedia-style software here. The Wikipedia-style software is uh, pretty easy to work with. So I've called this the Genesis Wiki. And um, unlike Wikipedia, you won't be able to register with it yourself. You'll need to send me an email through the... Uh, uh, and the normal mshcreationcenter.org website and ask to be put on it and I'll put one or two people on that uh, so that you can get in and you can start to make some edits and uh, on the main page here you'll see that I have um, suggested a, a created uh, page for each of the chapters of Genesis now at the moment they're in red when I've just finished this action that I'm going to show you, they won't be in red anymore. And by the way, some of the other links around here are going to get changed shortly. At the moment, it's still got the basic uh, MediaWiki software on there, but I'm going to alter some of that. Now, if I click on Genesis 1, this page does not exist yet. Hopefully, you can see that little flag there. But I'm just going to make this page so that it will exist. Okay, so there's a box here that says it's creating Genesis 1. And so at the top there, I'm just going to put a heading, uh, which I'll put with um, uh, two of those equal signs. That's the sort of code used to make a, a second level heading in uh, MediaWiki. And we'll put, uh, I'll just put some dummy text in there uh, to say uh, this is where the info on Genesis 1 will go. Um, Actually, I'm just going to remove that a moment, and I'll actually put the uh, title info, and then I'll put that uh, text back in under there. Now, in fact, because there is such a lot to say on Genesis chapter 1, what I'll probably need to do is I'll probably need to put some more links in here, 
in this page to other sections break it down further some of the other parts of genesis can be done a chapter at a time but i think genesis chapter one is going to need to be broken down okay now i can put some summary in i'm not going to at the moment i'm simply going to save the page okay and there we go it's saving that page there and so you can see that's the information that we've got on the page if anyone wants to actually discuss anything on there without editing the page wants to discuss it when you're uh, registered then you can do so by clicking on discussion and uh, uh, you can type something in there so if I put something like I have now started this page but will need to sub divide it then uh, we can uh, we can have that in there okay so I've uh, I've put that in there uh, there is a code which I've actually forgotten just at the minute that will actually um, uh, sign it for me I think if I just go back into edit I think if I remember right it's uh, a series of four tilled signs let me see if that works I may have that wrong. If, I, if I've got it wrong, it's just going to appear like four tilde signs. But I think, yeah, that's it. I was right. So it's actually uh, signed that for me now and put the date in. So if you could put a comment there in the discussion, then please put the four tilde signs at the end there to sign it. And that would be great. So I've gone back to that main page. But now if I go back, uh, click on the um, a logo at the top left and go back to the main page, you'll see that... Uh, the Genesis one page does exist, so it's in a different color now. The red ones do not exist yet. They haven't been started. The Genesis one has one. Now, um, as I said, I'm going to go in and I'm going to subdivide Genesis one. Most of the others do not need subdividing. Some of the early ones will do, but most of the others will not need subdividing. Uh, you could just get straight in and start adding stuff to it. So my thought is that if I get one or two people who are interested in uh, collaborating on a one-volume commentary on Genesis, we could use this to get it going. Uh, we could use this website to get it going, and uh, hopefully that will be of help to you. When it's all finished, we can uh, put it together, and um, uh, we can actually then publish it as a paper and, and as an electronic uh, commentary on Genesis. Okay. Well, moving on, let me tell you a little bit about some of the uh, things that we're doing. I've, uh, I've been quite busy with doing various different talks and events and so on recently. Uh, probably the biggest of those would have been the uh, annual Foundations uh, of Life conference in Longview, Washington, which was held on February the 3rd and the 4th of uh, 2017. Uh, it's the Friday and the Saturday. It was a great event. Um, um, Chris Ashcraft spoke and Patrick Nury spoke and uh, I spoke. And uh, I did the main uh, plenary um, talk at the end of the conference. I also did two uh, breakout seminar sessions. Uh, one of those was pretty much a talk really on the subject of James Usher. But the other one was uh, uh, more of a more of a seminar where I got people to do some work. Now, last year at the same conference, I'd done a talk uh, entitled Where Birds Eat Horses, and my book of that title had not long been uh, published. Uh, since then, I've produced a workbook as well on the subject, and I've tried to keep up to date with other things, other materials that people can test out and, and use uh, to do with the book Where Birds Eat Horses. So I wanted to present a seminar which I called More Birds Eating Horses. 
and um, I, I really wanted to get them to uh, try out the techniques using uh, up-to-date popular type science articles so I thought I'd show you what we talked about during that session and uh, I, I think this is quite a neat way of uh, separating the true science from the false science now the whole concept of um, the, uh, uh, the the analysis of these uh, uh, science articles is to go and look for three main types of language and they are fuzzy words magic words and worldview bias words well uh, you know you can read uh, a lot of detail about this in the book where birds eat horses but let me just show you a little bit about each of these types of words first of all let's have a look at the fuzzy words now I've got a, an article here a science article which is actually a pretty recent one uh, you, you may see there that the um, uh, the date on the article is actually January the 30th 2017 and I've put this into um, uh, a PDF format uh, I've just uh, it, it's from a website I've just changed the formatting somewhat that's all but I've got basically all the uh, science information in there so that you can try out uh, this particular technique so a fuzzy word is where the writers have deliberately cast doubt on their own work <laughs> so that, that you can't accuse them later of having given an assertion which is not true um, you get a number of these and quite often you get words like probably or possibly uh, when people are trying to um, basically hedge their bets somewhat um, well that's what I want to show here so uh, I'm going to use um, a highlighter pen I'm just using a PDF editing uh, software but I, I would actually normally do this with a real pen that's how I would normally treat this I'd get a real pen and do the highlighting so if I take my highlighting pen here and uh, I'll just go down the page a little bit and I want you to see this paragraph here which is labeled um, uh, the newly named Saccharitis coronarius was a microscopic animal which spent its life wriggling around on the ocean floor okay that's what we're looking at here it's this particular paragraph uh, here and what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my highlighting pen and I'm going to highlight where it says according to a new study because that's a clear example of a fuzzy word they're deliberately casting doubt on what they said about it wriggling around on the floor by using the phrase according to a new study now I, I can't really spot every one of these for you but if I just go down the page here you'll see that we've got another one here where it says the creature is thought to be the most primitively um, primitive example of category of animal life so that's um, another example of a fuzzy word so there are a number of these in the article and you can go through and you can find these and uh, the color code I usually use is that I usually color um, my fuzzy words in yellow so remember again a fuzzy word is about uh, uh, a word that's where, where they're not giving exact information they're sort of giving you an innu innuendo if you like now a second type of word is a magic word now magic words are where you have things that are impossible but the word causes something that's impossible to come into existence there are not too many of those in this particular article but the most common 
magic word in, uh, in, in evolutionary terms is the millions of years because they assume that something that is impossible becomes possible if you give it long enough. For example, if you look at this uh, paragraph here, uh, if you see that paragraph, um, we're talking about these creatures diversifying into vertebrates. This is something that simply doesn't happen. But the idea is that if we give it long enough, 510 to 520 million years ago, then it will happen. In this software, the highlight always starts off yellow. But I'm going to change that uh, to pink. If I was doing this with a highlighting pen, it would be pink from uh, the beginning. So that's the color code that I tend to use for my magic words. And there are a number of those throughout the article as well. No, not as quite as, there are not as many of those really as there are of the uh, fuzzy words. So that's uh, fuzzy words and magic words. And the third type are words of worldview bias, where they simply use a biased word in the article. Um, and uh, without, uh, they, they try not, they don't even try and justify the use of that biased word. So let me uh, give you an example of that. Uh, this team of British scientists here, however, has announced that this is precisely the description of humanity's earliest known evolutionary ancestor. And of course, they're not justifying that it is um, the earliest known evolutionary ancestor. So let's highlight that. Um, this is a word of worldview bias uh, in my particular uh, key. I like to put that in blue. Okay, you can use whatever colors you like, but that's what I'm tending to do. I'm tending to put that in blue. So I've got yellow for fuzzy words, I've got pink for magic words, and I've got blue for my bias words. So I'm putting all those together. And what I then do is once I've highlighted all these various bits in the article, I go back to any sentence, any sentence that contains one of these highlights. I'm going to go over the whole lot, highlight the whole lot of that in a graphite pencil. So in that case, this will be uh, gray. So I've highlighted the whole of that in gray. And I'm just going to go through the article and I'm going to do it like that. And in fact, um, <laughs> There used to be a children's TV program back in Britain on the BBC where if they would do some sort of major um, construction or whatever, they would show you in brief what to do. And then they would say, well, here's one I made earlier. So that is exactly what I'm going to do here. Here's one I made earlier. You can see there um, a worldview bias word. You can see some fuzzy words. You can see some... Um, uh, magic words and I've put all those together now if I um, go out of that then now and uh, look at this article on a smaller scale you see that there's very little in the way of actual science the areas that are colored gray then are where they've uh, messed around with the science the areas that are white are real science or factual information and uh, that's how we've done that it's uh, it's a neat little trick to be able to do um, but hopefully you'll find that useful. You're listening to or watching The Mountain and the Word episode 19. We'll be right back with you after this. If you visit any typical science museum or read a high school textbook or watch a popular level science documentary film, 
you will be bombarded with what seems to be lots of evidence for the theory of evolution. Actually, the evidence doesn't consist of science, but it actually consists in their clever and deceptive use of language. In my book, Where Birds Eat Horses, I explain to you a technique where, without an enormous background in science, you can spot the real science and separate it from the pseudoscience. The only skill you need is to be able to read and to be able to keep your eyes open and to be able to use your common sense. Also available with this easy to read book, you can get a homeschool curriculum to train your young people in these techniques and be able to set them up for life. Visit wherebirdseathorses.com today to find out how to get these valuable resources. Well, a couple of things in the early part of this broadcast have been a little bit visual. And uh, if you're listening on audio podcast, uh, maybe you got a little bit lost. Now, please bear with me. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to these things again with a visual aid, you can do so because it's possible to download the um, sheet that I'm talking about with the uh, particular article in place. You can download that from... Um, my website so please do have a look at that uh, anyway let's let's continue with things that um, are auditory so that uh, you don't need to um, uh, you don't you don't need to make up the pictures in your head but you'll be able to hear what we're saying but actually in some ways some of what I want to start with is a little bit visual but I think it's the sort of visual that you can imagine in your head uh, there's an excellent article on the answers in Genesis website um, about the beautiful coloured lights that they used to illuminate the um, full-size Noah's Ark that they've built at their new attraction, the Ark Encounter in uh, northern Kentucky. And the article, uh, dated February the 3rd, 2017, is headed, uh, We're Keeping the Rainbow at the Ark Encounter. And... Uh, um, Ken Ham in that article starts by saying that they lit up the full-size arc during the Christmas season, but they've, they've thought about deciding to keep that change permanent. Um, and they say it's because they want to take the rainbow back. Well, I agree entirely with what they're saying there. And let's have a look at some of the reasons why. Um, You'll find the reasons why in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13. Uh, in that verse uh, we read, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Well, do you think God doesn't remember his covenants unless he sees a rainbow? No, that's not the case. It's it's a bit like, you know, I sometimes say, why does God ask questions in the Bible? He doesn't need to get any information. He knows everything. So since he knows everything, the benefit of the question is not for him, but for the person he's asking the question to. It's for them. 
And it's the same really with this uh, covenant sign. That sign is not there for God's benefit. When he says he remembers his covenant, it's not because he would forget otherwise. Of course not. He'll remember all the time. But the rainbow is there to remind us. So it is actually a sign for us. Uh, we see the rainbow. We should remember that God remembers his covenant. Now what's this covenant about? Well, it's about God's mercy. You see, God sent the flood as a judgment. He sent the flood because the wickedness of men's hearts was always evil continually. And so he sent the flood to judge the world, to destroy it all, and to start things over again. But during that starting things over again, God chose at that stage not to reform human beings. He didn't give us new bodies. He didn't save uh, the people who were there at that stage. He simply saved eight people on the ark. And of course he saved those eight people. We read in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. They, they were on an ark which was waterproofed with pitch. But the word for pitch is kafar, which means atonement. So these people were waterproofed against the watery judgment of God by the atonement of pitch. Just as we are to be fireproofed against the fiery judgment of God to come by the atonement of the blood of Jesus, which doesn't just cover our sins, but washes them away completely. Now that hadn't happened at the time of the flood. The sins were not washed away completely. Within a short space of time, people started to be evil again. God is angry with sin and he will punish sin. And the fact that people are allowed to live is a sign of God's mercy. God is a merciful God. And uh, whenever he waits before judgment arrives, it's because of his mercy. So the fact that uh, uh, things haven't come to an end straight away is God's mercy. And what does he say? He says that there will be times when it rains. And when it rains, a particular refraction pattern of the light through that raindrop, through those raindrops, will produce a spectrum. And that spectrum will cause the rainbow that we see in the sky. And God remembers his covenant. Of course, he never forgot. But we know when we see that rainbow that God is a God of mercy. And we should talk to people about that. Yes, some people might say it's a natural phenomenon. It is a natural phenomenon, but all natural phenomenons, phenomena were put in place by God. It's there for a reason. You know, we cannot say for sure that there was no rain before the flood. I'm not going to die on that hill. I know there are some creationists who think that there could have been rain before the flood. One of the reasons why I think it's possibly likely that there was no rain before the flood is I think that this rainbow was probably something new. And it's not that spectra were not possible before the flood. Of course they were, but I suspect that we perhaps did not have drops of water in the air. Now look, this isn't an important point. If you, if you don't like that idea, if you think uh, there must have been rain before the flood, it's not really going to worry me because it doesn't alter the fact that the rainbow is a particularly spectacular sign in the sky. And almost every culture in the world has thought that the rainbow means something. Well, the rainbow does mean something. It is God telling us, the whole of humanity, the entire human race, he is telling us that he's a God of mercy. 
because he hasn't destroyed us as a race yet. One day he will. One day he will. But at the moment he has not. Therefore, if he hasn't destroyed us, there is the opportunity of salvation for you. And that salvation needs to be taken now. God destroyed that first world. But God saved those who put their trust in him. He gave them grace. He gave them grace. That grace came from God. And there was a door on the ark, but there was only one door. And God shut that door to shut Noah and his family in. So you need to think about that gospel, because there is a gospel there, a gospel message in the account of Noah. And you need to think about that gospel message too. So therefore, uh, that's what the whole symbolism of the rainbow is for. You know, when I'm giving talks in different places, one of the things that I really like to do is to be able to answer questions. And a lot of what I've done has really been in order to answer certain types of questions. Um, you know, you may have been uh, following the uh, commercial there that we put up for the book Where Birds Eat Horses, but in many ways a lot of that material in that book came about because of answering people's questions. Uh, in a similar vein, I've got a little book called um, The Biblical Age of the Earth, and that again is people asking questions. I like to ask questions. And um, maybe you've been wondering how you can get questions onto this podcast. Well, it would be really easy to do so. If you want to ask a question onto this podcast, all you need to do is send me an email. And just so that we can get the emails into the correct place, so I know which emails are for the podcast, um, we'd, uh, use a special email address for that purpose, please. The email address will be podcast at mshcreationcenter.org. Uh, podcast at mshcreationcenter.org. So ask me a brief question by email and uh, we'll try and get to answer as many of those questions as we can in subsequent editions of this podcast. And hopefully that will be of use to you. Well, just to uh, begin to wind up this podcast, I wanted to tell you about some of the things that we're attempting to do here as the new season um, uh, begins to get underway. And... There are a number of uh, new uh, trips and things, new things that we're going to be putting in place for you to take part in. Uh, we will be uh, scheduling some excursions, um, the, west, the popular West Side excursion, as well as East Side excursions and South Side excursions. Uh, please do look out for those so that you uh, know when we're doing them and you can come along and join in but also I think uh, it would be useful to have some other features that look uh, other things and uh, in the near future I want to be running some workshops for basically for any interested people but particularly maybe for um, homeschooled um, young people it would probably be mostly high school age homeschooled young people and uh, we'll be uh, doing some workshops some outdoor workshops then uh, on uh, at uh, to do with the volcano but uh, now we'll do some of these at the Harry Gardner Park and at the sediment retention structure now the Harry Gardner Park is is close to the town of Toodle and it's the point where the South Fork Toodle River and the North Fork Toodle River join 
and there are some fascinating things to see there. Um, for a start, you can see the difference in the waters between the, the two rivers as they join together. The North Fork River has principally come from uh, the melted glacier in the crater, and so has picked up quite a bit of sediment that way, whereas the South Fork River has come from glaciers on the west side of the volcano and is not really picking up quite so much sediment, unless, of course, it's been raining um, before you get to look at those rivers. So we'll have a look at the difference in the way that those uh, rivers look. But also the whole area gets eroded very quickly. Uh, in the just a couple of years, the two and a half years that I have lived in this area, the area where the rivers join has changed dramatically several times. You know, um, I've put a photograph here um, on the... On the um, uh, for those watching the video podcast and that photo shows the area flooded well the, the area does flood and then it goes back again and since the waters have receded from that uh, episode of flooding the the uh, topography of the area has changed again so it's a very good place to study erosion how erosion happens and how it can happen extremely quickly so that would be a great thing to look at now the sediment retention structure is on the north fork toodle river if it's a clear day, you've got stunning views of the volcano, but also you can see how uh, that structure is, is attempting to protect the environment from the ravages of uh, more sediment. A lot of sediment has um, built up behind that structure. It's like a sort of, it's a bit like a dam. It looks like a reservoir dam, but it's probably more of a sieve than a dam because water is meant to get through it but it's meant to hold the sediment back. So you might find it interesting to look at that area too. And there's quite a lot of useful outdoor work we can do in a workshop there. That's two workshops that we'll have a look at. We'll probably add more, but they're clearly going to be midweek because uh, that will enable um, um, homeschool people to come along to that. So hopefully you'll find those useful and if you want to find out more information about those then contact us to get information you probably want to contact info at mshcreationcenter.org that's info at mshcreationcenter.org to ask questions uh, for us to deal with on this show uh, please contact podcast at mshcreationcenter.org that's podcast at mshcreationcenter.org. Don't forget too, we are trying to get hold of a building that we'll be able to use as a permanent base. Uh, these things are, uh, you know, they don't come cheap. Uh, if any of you would like to be able to give to our general fund for us to be able to fund things for um, the center uh, and hopefully to be able to get a permanent base for the center very soon, then please do get in touch or have a look at the website and find out how you can do that. But please, we do most of all especially value prayer uh, for the subject. And um, yeah, just pray for us that we will get that center and we will have plenty of people around to be able to get it up and running for the new season. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Mountain and the Word. This has been episode 19. Um, keep your podcasting software up to date so that you don't miss a single episode of The Mountain and the Word. Goodbye.
That was The Mountain and the Word, an audio podcast show from the Mount St. Helens Creation Centre. For more information, visit our website, mshcreationcentre.org.